Hey everybody, welcome to Keyword Crypto. This is Michael. Uh, it's been a pretty crazy week, so I thought I'd just jump on and do a little quick uh, uh, feeling things out and talking about things and getting stuff off my chest. Um, I wanted to talk about Bitcoin and Nano and Ethereum and all, and just the idea of the communities because it seems like, especially with the Wall Street bet stuff that went on last week or all week, um, it's it's clear that people are really treating cryptocurrency like sports teams. And somebody had a great post and broke it down into like what kind of the, the three or four different types of uh, people there are in crypto. And it's just like the sports fanatics and, and um, I forget, I forget about, I forget the, the main ones he, he did, but uh, the one that really jumped out at me was the sports fanatic who um, likes their team no matter what, no matter the downfall, they'll just talk shit about any other team. And it, it seems like, especially in the cryptos in Twitter on crypto Twitter and uh, Reddit, um, that that's pretty much everybody for the most part, or I guess just all the, all the vocal people, they're the ones that get our attention. And maybe that's why they do it is because they get our attention. Um, so I don't have a problem with any cryptocurrency at the end of the day. I just don't have a problem with any cryptocurrency because every single cryptocurrency is going to have its strengths and weaknesses. What I have a problem with is when a community is uh, tries to hide their weaknesses for fear that they'll lose market share. And I understand, you know, and, and me and Mario talked about it, about like people who, who work in, in certain fields and have invest and have a vested interest in seeing those fields survive. They obviously need to worry about their cryptocurrency if their entire life is revolving around that economically, like job, community, all that stuff. Um, but what it kind of feels like is is an alcoholic that's afraid to admit that they're an alcoholic. And the, and everybody around them is like, this person's a complete disaster. And they just refuse to admit what's going on. And that's kind of like people in the cryptocurrency space who are just so adamant about their cryptocurrency and they refuse to accept any of the benefits of anything else and refuse to accept the limitations of their, of their own project. So when you're on Twitter, when you're on reddit when you're anywhere talking to anybody and someone's pitching you something just prod them a little bit and ask them a couple questions and ask them like what are, what are the weaknesses and that's the reason why i had patrick on last week is because it's really nice to hear a competent person talk about their a project that they're passionate about and do work for um he doesn't even really he doesn't work for them he just does work for them because he enjoys it um and he believes in it, but then when I say what are the what are the the faults of the project, he just starts listing them off. There's this, there's this, there's this, there's this. you know. It's like he 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 understands. He's he's like a scientist. He understands that this is what's working, this is what's not working, and you can't start fixing the things that don't work until you acknowledge that they don't work. And so, if you're talking to somebody about a specific cryptocurrency that they're trying to pitch you on and they can't admit the things that currently don't work and talk about the steps that are being taken to address them, 
then for long-term investment, that may not be the project for you. If the whole community is like that, that's a pretty big red flag. If, you know, if you're just thinking short-term, like Doge, <laughs> because, hey, why not? It pumps 500%. There's nothing unhealthy about that. Um, I'm kidding. Sarcasm. Uh, you know, and I've said in the past, sometimes you just got to put, you know, set your brain aside and just go with the flow. And that was one of those things. Like if you wanted to make a quick buck and you felt you knew what you were doing, you could have just jumped in and doge at pretty much any point up until Thursday night Pacific Standard Time when it hit the peak. So you had like a full 24 hours. If you put, if you bought in at any time up to that point and you sold at the top, you would have made money. But how do you know when the when the top's in? How do you know when to sell? So it's just like those things are just really dangerous because the majority of those people lose money. That's why pump and dumpers keep doing it. It's because people keep jumping in and keep losing all their money. All right, Casinos wouldn't be open if the majority of people made money at the casino. Like majority of people lose money at the casino. That's why casinos continue to open up. Except for Trump's, which always fail for some reason. I don't know. Maybe he's a bad businessman. Who knows? Uh, so, you know, just be careful out there. Uh, do your research. Do like read the terms of service. I mean, I don't know why I said that because no one reads the terms of service, including me. But just do research because that's the thing. I can't read terms of service. I'm not a lawyer. I don't understand what like 90% of that stuff says. So I go to sites that I trust, you know, for some technology, it's Ars Technica. Um, other, other sites, you know, like lawyers work on those sites and they kind of pick through the terms of service and they pick through these different things like, like the Robinhood stuff. All these people are posting all this spam about Robinhood saying that they're closing, they're closing positions for people. You know, and someone shows a, a picture of an email. Well, what the person didn't really show was that it wasn't a position. It was a, it was a, um, what's it called? Where a margin trade. So if you're if you're if you're underwater on a margins trade, they're going to close it and get and collect their money because, and they have every right to do that because you borrowed money from them and they're just collecting it back. Um, so, but people were like screaming and yelling about how Robinhood's stealing from them, but. Robinhood's doing exactly what any other margin trade, like you know, person loaning on margin would do in that situation. And that's their legal right because it's on the terms of service and something you agreed to when you did it. Um, I may have flubbed up a few words there. I didn't have, I don't have all the words in front. I don't have that part written down. So, so don't yell and scream at me or tweet at me and correct me. And then I can, you know, make sure people get the right uh, verbiage. And I mean that, and that kind of leads me to the next thing of, of uh, plutocrats and rich people. So me and Joe Looney got in a big, not a, I mean not a big argument. We were just going back and forth like we normally do. But he just apparently I, I hit a nerve or something, and he he blocked me right away. And that's crazy for Joe because Joe is usually the one that's trolling me all the time. And I wasn't even trolling Joe. I just. Was I was trolling Chamath and Joe came leaping to his rescue and then got pissed off at me that I was attacking Chamath. Not really attacking, but just like I felt like Ch Chamath did some shady shit. And Joe was like, oh, you hate all rich people. And I thought about it for a second. I was like, oh, do I hate all rich people? I was like, no, 
I don't hate all rich people. I hate plutocrats. I hate greedy people. So not all rich people are greedy. Not all rich people are plutocrats. Um, not all rich people, not all Democrats are neoliberals. I'm not a big fan of neoliberals. Not all conservatives are libertarians. I'm not a big fan of libertarians. Like so, there's, there's subsets of, uh, and and those are generalities. And you know, I don't hate all all uh, neoliberals. I dislike a lot of their policies. A couple of my really good friends are neoliberals, and they drive me crazy. But they're still my friends. You know, we grew up together, and you know, what do you do? You don't. You can't really. When a friend is around that long, they become family. You can't really pick them anymore. You can't like really just discard them because they say something stupid. They're just they're part of your life, so you just got to deal with it. But I'm not a big fan of greed, and you know the thing about Chamath and the thing about Elon, what they've been doing all week, and Chamath especially by going on CNBC and just kind of like bragging about what Wall Street Bets was doing, like taking down these these hedge fund companies that were shorting companies and just like, you know, going out there and like trumpeting what they're doing, which most likely got thousands, if not tens of thousands more people to jump in and buy. And within 20, within, I mean, less than 24 hours of him going on CNBC Everybody started, or not everybody, but a bunch of companies like Robinhood um, started pulling the ability to buy. And so you could you could only sell at that point. So if you could only sell at that point, people start to get spooked and they start selling. As we saw, it dropped 50, 60 percent um, in one day. So all those people who bought after Chamath went on CNBC, probably all of those people are underwater now if they haven't sold already. Um, I mean, even if they have sold already, they're probably underwater. And so that's dangerous. That's It's dangerous for Elon Musk to go, you know, to start tweeting about it. And he just did it. He did it with Doge and Doge pumped. He did it with Bitcoin today. And Bitcoin went from 32,000 to 38,000. And now it's back down to, let me check really fast. Now it's back down to 33,000. So there are certain types of people out there who like to stir up the pot and just and and they're desperate for attention. Chamath is definitely one of those people. He's always, you know, he's always trying to ask people, "Oh, you know, what should I invest in?" And smart people are like, "Uh, fuck you, pay me. I'm more than happy to offer you financial advice if you pay me." And and smart people who follow Elon know not to, you know, jump in when he tweets Doge because it's probably going to pump like 20% and then it's just going to tank again. And so I wouldn't be surprised. So, I mean, look, I know I'm not going to make a statement that he's actually doing a pump and dump, but every single time he does that, it pumps and it dumps. So either he's stupid and doesn't understand what he's doing or he's smart and he knows what he's doing and doesn't care that a bunch of people are losing money. Because it's not rich people who are jumping in on that pump and dump. It's not people with money. It's not people who are experienced traders. Or if they are doing it, they have a bag and they wait for him to do something like that. And as soon as it pumps 20%, they dump it. And they wait for it to fall back down and they buy it again. 
because they understand what he's, what he's doing. Whether he's doing it consciously or unconsciously, it's dangerous, and a lot of people lose their money. And that's the whole purpose of this show has always been about trying to help people not lose their money. So, I mean, Anand um, Jirida... Oh, fuck. I'm going to get in so much trouble for not seeing able to say his name. Anand... Shit. Where is he? Damn, dude. Okay. I'm just going to... I hope you know what who I'm... T- yeah. Jir- Jirid Haradas... I, I, I'm not saying that right. I, I feel like it's, it flows in a, a different way. But Anandjir Haddadis, um, he has a great line. He gave a talk um, at uh, whatever the the famous... Um, God, I'm fucking terrible. I'm sorry. He gave a talk at, at like whatever the Davos version is in... Um, yeah, at the Colorado Ski Resort, like Vail or whatever it is up there. Um, he gave a great speech, and, and the ultimate, like, the, the, the takeaway was he was reprimanding rich people for creating all this all these problems, all this havoc, like Anand, like, like, uh, like Chamath did, and then turning around and saying, hey, here's a donation to a charity. Look how good I am. And Anand's more or less saying, hey, asshole, stop, like, stop creating all these problems and then taking one-tenth of the, of the profit you made from creating that problem and giving it to charity and walking away with 90, 90% profit. So just do less harm. We don't need your charity. Just do less harm and pay your taxes. And it really kind of bothered me what Chamath did because Chamath created all this you know, extended poverty for all these people because they don't understand the market. Like people who are listening to this show understand the market. All right. They understand cryptocurrency. They understand how pump and dumps work. And they understand, I mean, most people do. I mean, I'm hoping you do. If if you've listened to this for a while, if you're new, welcome to the show, Keyword Crypto. Um, But I feel like the people who who understand what's talked about on the show have been in the market for a little bit and understand how to how to trade and how to get out quick if if you see it tanking or something like that and not lose too much profit or not you know lose too much money but i think i feel like when he goes on cnbc that gets spread around to twitter to reddit to to tiktok to you know instagram to everywhere and people see that and they're seeing it probably hours and hours later after it aired People may see it like 24 hours later. There could probably be people who saw it and then literally bought something and then two seconds later, Robinhood got shut down. You know, they they, they shut down the ability to, to buy and then it just tanked. And they're like, what the fuck happened? Like, I just watched this interview with Chamath and he said that this is great and we're fighting against the man and, and nobody is putting it together that Chamath is the fucking man. He's, he's the... He's the evil Wall Street guy. He's the one doing all this stuff. He's the one trying to ask people for financial advice on Twitter without paying them. 
He's the. I mean, he's doing all these things, and, and then he'll like, oh, I mean, I remember at one time he did this thing where he said, "Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm looking for something, something, and you know, send me a proposal, and if you win, I'll give you, you know, ten thousand dollars." And that was kind of it. He just kind of left it like that. So he probably had thousands and thousands of people, uh, you know, send in written submissions about all these different projects. And I'm sure he just fucking hoovered them all up and then paid one person $10,000 while getting, you know, 10,000, maybe even 100,000 proposals. And if 1% of those are solid proposals, he's just walking away without having to do any work. He got all this free labor. That's what rich people do. They love getting free labor. They love not having to pay people. If you're an artist in this country, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People never want to pay artists because they think art isn't valuable, even though they consume it every single day and pay tons of money for it to go to the movies, to, you know, pay for HBO or this or Netflix. or It's like, you know, they, they pay for it. They just don't want to be able to pay the people who make it. And that's why, you know, that's dangerous because the people who are making the money are the people who are sending it out into the airwaves, not the people who are actually creating it. And the people who create it end up kind of getting screwed. And there's just this level of disrespect for working class people like artists. That's one of them. So like, I don't hate rich people. I hate greedy people. I hate plutocrats. I hate neoliberals. I hate people who, who've continued this cycle of let's create all this new money and just give it to the rich people. I mean, George H.W. Bush, when Reagan, when they ran, when they ran against each other um, for president, you know, Reagan talked about his trickle-down theory, and George H.W. Bush turned to everybody and said, look, this is voodoo economics. The math does not add up. And lo and behold, Reagan won, you know, pushed through trickle-down economics, and it fucking collapsed the country. We've never had so much poverty in this country since that started. We've never had so much childhood hunger in this country since that started. Like all the major problems in this country financially that have occurred, like the, the, the winnowing of the middle class, the increase of the, of the poverty class, that all started in the 80s with our economic change. So it, like, it's frustrating to have to, to... So I grew up with that as my backdrop. So that's why I get very passionate and frustrated about this stuff. Because I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to, to the people around me. I've seen it happen to my own family. I've just seen, you know, collapse of cities. Um, and I've seen the col- a collapse of, of unions and labor and collapse of the middle class wage. It's just, and it's, it's scary to see, like, that we're, we're quickly moving to a pre-Great uh, Depression time where massive wealth inequality is, is or, or, you know, wealth, wealth, in, wealth inequality is, is going to be at all-time highs pretty soon. And that's completely unsustainable. And so you have the entire country is going to collapse. And all we're doing right now is we keep printing money to try to prop it up. We keep on having, you know, 0% interest rates to prop it up. And people keep buying buying more and more houses. But it's the same people buying all the houses. 
Like nobody in the middle class is buying any houses. It's the rich people who are buying up more and more houses. You know, so instead of having one house that they live in, they have 20 houses and 19 of them are turned into rentals. So that's 19 families that can't buy a house because that's just 19 less houses. And people are like, oh, let's just build more houses. We don't have that many people. So if we keep building all these houses and every single person has a house that they can live in, there's going to be like thousands and thousands of extra houses left over because all these rich people own all these multiple houses. And then that's going to collapse the economy because they're going to realize that there's nobody to rent them to. And they're all going to like, you know, that's going to be like, all right, deep breath. Okay. So, you know, go back to Wall Street bets. The thing about Wall Street bets that I had, a, I have a problem with is this. When you get to that level, like that much attention on you, you're, you're pretty much just like a pro-Trumper at that point, thinking, I'm going to storm the Capitol and nothing's going to happen to me. Because there's so many people here, they can't do anything. And like you can't you can't storm storm the castle, you know. Like the American government has missiles and airplanes and tanks and all these things that we don't have, you know. And and they've never turned them on us, and they probably never. I mean, I don't want to say they never will. Like we did everything we could to get Trump out of office because he was trying to get the military to to turn their weapons on us. Um, if you, if you listen to any Q forums or any like interviews about people who are in Q, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to get the military to take over the country, a, mi- a military coup, and then to hand over the reins to, to Trump. They wanted the military to attack democracy and just have a complete dictatorship at that point. That's what they wanted. And I don't think a lot of the people who were conned in the Q space even understand that. So when you're in this Wall Street bets thing, like it... You can say you don't like the system, but then when you attack the system, the system fights back or or it goes into defensive mode and it protects itself. And that's what it does. I mean, so if anybody knows anything about the stock market, they know that there's triggers in place. So if the stock market tanks more than 5%, boom, they shut off all trading. I don't know if it's 5%. I forget. I don't know the exact number, but there's a, there's a specific percentage and if it falls Below that, in one day of trading, trading shuts down. So it's an automatic trigger, so we don't have another Great Depression. That's a holdover from the Great Depression, because you don't want it falling 28% in one day, because then that creates a massive, uh, you know, a massive amount of panic, and then everybody starts selling at that point, and it's just, you know, it's just, it just starts uh, 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 caving in on itself. So it's like, I agree, short sellers who are buying options on shorts at a higher percentage that are even of, of, of the stock that's even available, that should be illegal. And I think it is illegal. And hopefully this will make Congress do something about it. But Congress isn't going to do something about it if you don't call your congressperson. Call your congressperson. Call your senator, call your house represent call your representative in, 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 in the house. Like you have to be vocal and say, look, if you don't do something, I'm gonna vote for somebody who will do something. 
And you have to actually stand up and, and, and hold the people that you elect to represent you accountable. But if you look around and, you know, 95% of the people don't think like you, then either you're a complete idiot or you're just not explaining it to them properly. And you can't just scream and yell at them. You have to actually start educating people because a lot of people just don't know this stuff. Like, I mean, how many people did you see on, on Reddit or on Twitter who had no idea what they're talking about with the stock market? Don't understand anything about margin trading. Don't understand. It's just like, you know, and they keep saying it's illegal and people need to go to jail. No, you need to take a fucking civics class. You need to learn how things work before you put $10,000 in there. Or before you try to sell your, take a second mortgage on your parents' house and then you don't understand what you're even putting the money into. It's, there's a level of ignorance in this country about how things work that's pretty scary to, to witness. And it makes me nervous sometimes because it, it, does, it didn't surprise me when I realized that these Russian troll farms were attacking Facebook and attacking Twitter and attacking Reddit and, you know, attacking our social media platforms and not even, they didn't need to lift a gun and point it at us. They just had some people pretend to be Americans and just brainwashed everybody and filled them with misinformation because our country, because the majority of our country is so uneducated and I'm not talking about immigrants. People are like, oh, there's so many immigrants. No, no, this is fucking white people. This is fourth, fifth generation white people who just ha have no idea what's going on. Have no, because, you know, for the last 20 years, we haven't really had civics classes in, in school. We don't have any education on, on financial well-being, on, on how to, you know, how to balance your checkbook, how to do anything like that, how to invest in the stock market. We don't have anything like that in schools. So it's not surprising when people don't understand how to do it. But the trick is, if you see that happening, don't point and laugh. Like, try to explain it to them. Hey, you know, this is this is how that's, you know, this is how this is what margin is. This is what you know, blah blah. Is this is this is how you balance your checkbook? Like, this is this is important. Like, you should know this stuff because you're going to come into contact with this. So, you know, and also like just basic laws of like, Robin Hood has to maintain solvency. So. If people are borrowing all this money for margin trades and they don't, you know, they're not putting any money in, like Robinhood had to shut down and borrow money because they had to like start paying people these things, you know, paying people there when, when they close their trades. So there's a reason why we want Robinhood to do that because if they're insolvent, that's dangerous. People are going to have distrust in the system. So they shut down trading and borrow money and make sure they're solvent because they legally have to. And I'm not sure the exact specifics, but it just, you know, if you look up bank and, you know, like, you know, banks have to be solvent up to like 10% or 20% and they can, or not 90%. I forget. I forget. I'm blanking on, I'm tired. It's Friday night. So, um, but like, so trading houses are kind of like banks. You have to have a certain amount in, in, in the coffers, you can loan out the rest, blah, blah. But you know, same thing, they have, to, they have to be solvent. They have to have a certain amount of percentage of money in, in the bank. Um, so, you know, that's, that's that topic. Um, oh, so don't get, 
what I have, what I have a real problem, and it's, and and if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me do it a couple times. Um, is I have a problem when people tell me what I think. And I've noticed this on Twitter a lot, and I, I, I'm bringing it up because I notice there's a lot of conflict and a lot of toxicity between communities and Twitter, and it's sad. Crypto, crypto communities and Twitter because it's sad because we're already such a small percentage of the population and the finance system. And the fact that we're all so splintered and just constantly attacking each other, it, it weakens, it weakens us. It weakens cryptocurrency. It weakens the ideals behind it. And if the goal is to get this stuff out there, you know, a, a doggy dog is the worst possible way. So if you know anything about science and technology, when you have usually independent thinkers and independent scientists working on stuff and independent mathematicians and independent engineers and this and that, they all kind of steal from each other and borrow from each other and work off of each other and build off of, you know, other people's failures and this and that. And that's the reason why science is so um, so important to publish work, like, like published work is so important for science is because, and why it's so important to publish even when you fail, because it allows other people to see that and see what's working and what's not working. And it doesn't feel like we really have that in cryptocurrency. Like the communities are just like, they just, there's, there's so much venom and hatred. And, and we see it in the way we talk to each other. Like I, I keep getting people saying like, well, you think this and you think that. And I saw in the Chamath interview, and it's a, it's a very Trumpian tactic of, uh, it's kind of like a, like a, I don't, I don't know exact, I don't know the exact phrase. I don't know exact, exact what it's exactly called, but it's like in the Chamath interview, Chamath kept saying to the interviewer, he's like, well, you keep saying this and you think that. And the interviewer was like, I never said that and I don't think that. And then and he would ask Chamath a question that Chamath kept on avoiding and deflecting away from about, do you feel responsible as like a Pied Piper for kind of leading all these people here by talking about it, by tweeting about it, by coming on this show and by doing all this stuff? Do you feel any sense of responsibility for all the people that are going to lose a bunch of money? Because he knew there a bunch of people were going to lose a bunch of money. And Chamath knew it too. That's why he donated that money. Because he, he needed to uh, make himself look good. Because if he didn't donate all that money, people were going to be fucking pissed off at him. But that, that small donation, I just like, people are so easily uh, outwitted that, that way. It's just like, like easily manipulated. But, but he did that. He constantly saying, he kept on saying to the interviewer, like, you think this. And the interviewer had to be like, Chamath, I don't think that. Well, you think this. Chamath, I don't think that. So if, if you're the kind of person that does that, I really, it, it kind of makes you look manipulative and untrustworthy. If you want to know what someone's thinking, ask them and respect the answer you get. And then have a debate about that. But if your whole debate is telling somebody, erroneously telling somebody what they think after being told they don't think that, 
and you continue to fight that narrative that you've created in your head that isn't real, like you're not somebody to be trusted because either you're fucking crazy or you're being manipulative on purpose. And it's not a good look. So I, I would suggest, I, like, I catch myself doing it sometimes. It's so easy because it's such a great attack vector. And it puts somebody on the defensive of having to defend against something that you know isn't true. So I can say, hey, so-and-so, you know, you think this. And the person has to spend the next five minutes defending themselves. Saying, I don't think that, blah, blah. It's like, well, you said that, blah, blah. And it's like, and, and it, it, it's, it's a deflection about something that I don't want to talk, away from something that I don't want to talk about. Because I know I'm guilty about something. So I attack them and say, they think, they think this instead. And then I don't have to worry about it. Because now they have to defend the, themselves about something that isn't even true. So it's just like, we, we live in this world right now where it's just like, a lot of people are doing this and I, I just wanted to like, be like, like, it's just shady. Like, let's stop doing stuff like that. Let's stop, let's stop creating conflict. And I catch myself too I, on Twitter. I know I'm a pretty aggressive and confrontational person and I'm working on it slowly. Um, it takes time. But if this is going to sound super cheesy and, you know, ridicule me on Twitter or, you know, just hit stop if you want. But I've been watching Ted Lasso and Apple TV. And I've, I swear to fucking God, I've watched it like five times now. And it made me realize that, like, I want to be more like Ted Lasso. Of just a positive person who thinks positively. And instead of, like, looking for all the negativity about somebody, just look for the positive. And then, you know, you can always try to work on the other things. You can always try to work on, on the on the negative, but if you look for the positive first, and you create a, and you create a connection with somebody, that person's more willing to be vulnerable. And we really, I mean, I know it's a meme space, but we God, we really need a little bit of vulnerability. I think the only person who's honestly vulnerable is Crypto Friday or Crypto Finally, and you know, she uses. I don't know. She says she's not an artist, but I think she's absolutely an artist, and and I think it's I think she's she's very vulnerable. Um, I think a lot of people in the nano community are people are, are vulnerable. I think a lot of people in the Ethereum community are vulnerable. They're they're open about what doesn't work in the projects and what they're working on to address it, and they don't say that you know so and so will eventually be around. They say this is what we're working on, um, and I think that's important. So yeah. Don't tell other people what they think. Um, and by the way, I said this on Twitter, but <laughs> Elon and Chamath were total honeypots for GME, for GameStop. It's just like, I, I swear to God, they were Russian plants. And they're like, all right, you go in there and you pump up GameStop. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Uh, GameStop stock. Um and they did, and they did it wonderfully because they lured all these uneducated traders into the hype machine. And they bought that, and then they bought Doge, and then they bought Bitcoin and got dumped on. <laughs> so, um, what else do I want to take? Oh, a lot of this stuff is about 
how crazy things got with with GameStop. Um, people are always talking shit about uh, the media and about how the media can't be trusted and and you know the the media are liars and this and that. You gotta you gotta take everything anybody says with a grain of salt. So like NPR, I was listening to NPR and they announced that uh, Melvin was closing their short shorts for massive loss. And then I heard from somebody that they weren't actually doing it. And then I heard from somebody that they were thinking about doing it. And then I heard from somebody at CNBC that, that said they, they did close theirs. It's like, the imagine an earthquake and you have a reporter in the middle of Los Angeles or in the middle of whatever city and they're trying to report on something five miles away or they're being asked about something from five miles away. And they're getting all this information for people that are running by them and say, what happened, what happened? People are just yelling at them and they're kind of reporting it in real time. Like that's what breaking news is. It's a stream of people running away from an accident and one person standing there trying to get the information from them as they run by and telling you 100 miles away what's going on. So the information you're getting, it's not that they're trying to be deceitful. I mean, some you know, sometimes the people who are running at them are plants from rich people, sure, and they're giving them false information. Okay, fine, you know, but we can't expect like that's your job to decipher. So you know, breaking news, don't worry about it. Like, don't make. I know people want to get always always want to have an edge with trading and this and that. Like, but like. If you don't understand and then you start attacking people, it's the whole thing of like people saying like people in Robin Hood needed to be in jail or people at Citadel needed to be a jail or this or that. And it's just like, and then finally people on Twitter started walking back their statements like, oh, I was heated in the moment and this and that. I shouldn't have said they belong in jail because I really have no idea what they did. I had no information. I had zero information, but I was so mad that I said they should be in jail. And that literally just happened at the Capitol and five people are dead now because of it. Because people didn't have the information or they had misinformation and they made a decision to storm the Capitol and people died because of it. So, like, take a deep breath. You know, chances are if you make a financial decision in the heat of the moment like that, you're going to lose money. And that's what... I'm going to say it right now. That's what the rich people want you to do. They want you to lose your money because they're the ones that are going to take it from you because they're not making irrational decisions in the heat of the moment. They're probably the one that created that heat of the moment just so you would make an irrational decision. Not all rich people. Hashtag not all rich people. Um which kind of leads me to the question, tell me again why Wall Street buying Bitcoin is good for the crypto space. Because all people do is talk shit about Wall Street and hedge fund traders and this and that. And then all people are doing like, yeah, let's get Bitcoin bought up by the Michael Saylor, buy our bags. Like, I'm sorry, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like either... Either you're anti-Wall Street or you're pro-Wall Street. But like, I said, it on t- <laughs> I said it on Twitter and I'll say it here. 
So you have, and I think I said it last week with, with Patrick, you have Wall Street that's been mining Bitcoin with Fidelity. Fidelity was mining Bitcoin. And the rest, like Grayscale and Michael Saylor and all these people are buying up Bitcoin left and right. They've been doing that for about two years now. And for the last year, Ethereum is up against Bitcoin. And so far this year, hold on, let me check. Yeah, since 2021 started, Ethereum is up by like 75% against Bitcoin. So what does that tell you? Maybe Wall Street buying up all the Bitcoin isn't good for Bitcoin. Because Ethereum is outpacing Bitcoin and Ethereum doesn't have a cap, doesn't have a fixed supply, it's not deflationary, it's inflationary. All these things that everybody says is wrong about it and dangerous about it, and I'm talking to you nano people too. All these things that are bad about it, and yet Ethereum is up against Bitcoin over the last year. That's, I mean... So if people say, oh, what's the best thing to invest in? I'm like, well, you know, looking at the looking at the charts, Ethereum isn't being bought up by, by Wall Street that I'm aware of. Like no one's talking about it on Twitter. And it's up against Bitcoin. So that obviously to me is the the better the better long term investment. Just looking at just just thinking about like those those two points. If everything remained the same, that that would be my thought process. So, it's just something to think about. Um, you know, the people who are advocating for Wall Street taking over Bitcoin, they probably have ulterior motives, and they're probably not thinking about you, the pleb trader, or us, the pleb traders. You know the, the 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 pleb investors who think we're going to get rich quick. They're not. They're probably not thinking about us. And our like we're not in their plans. So keep that in mind. Um, I I really want people to stop looking for like a messiah. And we've kind of trained our society to look for one. Um, I'm kind of talking about uh, Portnoy right now because he just went on this spree of toxicity over the past two days on Twitter about, and he had no idea what he was talking about. He's saying people are, you know, people belong in jail and people are doing this, people are doing that. He, He had no information he wasn't sharing any information. He wasn't, he just had no clue what he was talking about. But the dude has like a million followers or 500,000 followers. He's, he's got a ton of followers. I'm not sure the exact number. And I don't want to like just wait around why. I don't want to make you wait around while I look it up. But he's got a lot of followers. He's got a lot of like r- rabid fans who, if he says something, I'm in this one Telegram group with a bunch of rich people, and they just eat up whatever he says. And if he says it, they're, that you know they're thinking it. And I'm just thinking, it's like, come on, guys, like you're wealthy, 
like I'm assuming you you thought you you think for yourself like come on like so it, it kind of goes back to that thing of it's like take everything you you see with a grain of salt because you know Chamath doesn't know what he's talking about or he does and he's just trying to manipulate you Elon doesn't know what he's talking about or he does and he's just trying to manipulate you Portnoy doesn't know what he's talking about or he does and he's just trying to manipulate you because all three of them for the last two days have said a lot of ignorant wrong stuff that probably cost a lot of people a lot of money a lot of poor people a lot of our friends a lot of our family members I'm sure somebody listening to this show knows somebody who lost some money on GameStop or Doge or the Bitcoin pump today. So, which leads me to my final point is uh, pumps. Man, they fucking scare the shit out of me. I'm not talking about like red inch, red six inch pumps. I'm talking about pump and dumps. They really scare me. Um, and not because I'm worried about them. I'm worried about how many people in the space are losing money are going to lose money because of it. And they're just going to walk away for three or four years. And then that's just one less person we have in the space. And then we have to start all over again, trying to convince them that this technology can actually help people in the long run. And I don't want, I don't want to have to waste my, I don't want to have to sit there and explain it to fucking a hundred people and then explain it to those, that same hundred people again, two years from now, three years from now. I don't want to have to like, it's like, we need to maximize our the, the the our energy output, right? Like we don't want to keep wasting all this time and energy trying to explain stuff to the same person over and over again because they because we didn't help them make rational decisions. We allow like we didn't warn them not to get caught up in it. So like when Nano pumped. 500%, I flat out said, this is not healthy. This is scary. This is obviously market manipulation. And the nano people didn't like that. <laughs> so, because, you know, those people are champs. They, they, they've been holding on for a long time. And they deserve a little pump. But at the same time, you know, you want, you want healthy growth. Because healthy growth leads to long-term growth. Look at, look at Doge charts from the last three, four years. There's a lot of pumps and then it always goes back to zero, right? I mean, there is no healthy growth in Doge. None. Zero growth. Outside of, if, if you cut out those pump and dumps, there is absolutely zero growth in Dogecoin. That's not what I want for cryptocurrency. I avoid those projects because those projects aren't going anywhere. They're literally just hanging around to get recycled into another pump and dump three or four years later or a year later or any time Trump or uh, Elon. See, I, I, I equate Elon Musk to Trump now. He's just a fucking piece of shit on Twitter that's out to like scam people. So that's why I don't like pumping. That's why I don't like pumps 500%, you know, pumps in one day. Like I'm, I'm honestly worried that Nano could go back to under a dollar because a 500% pump and a bunch of people jump in 
and then it just starts to retrace, they get all pissed off and be like, oh, Nano's a fucking shit coin. And it's like, okay, well, that no, that's a project that actually works and works well and blah, blah. But you've, you've ruined everyone's opinion who jumped in when it retraced and they lost all this money and they sell it and they walk away. And now it's two or three more years before, they, before they're willing to come back and take a risk again. And that goes for Bitcoin, that goes for Ethereum, that goes for any cryptocurrency that, that, is functional, that, that functionally works right now. That can sustain itself on its own. And there's only a handful of, of cryptocurrencies that can do that. So when those get pumped and dumped, that's really bad for the community. Because like when Verge goes, gets pumped and dumped, when Doge gets pumped and dumped, you know, most people in the community aren't going to fall for that. And the people who are falling for it probably are never going to get in cryptocurrency anyway, but we don't want them to get have that happen with good projects that that can sustain themselves, that can function. It's just not good for the community. It And it leads to more toxicity. It leads to more infighting. And it just makes us all look bad. You know, I, I guarantee you, yeah, I've said it, I've said it before. You know, there's, I've read this thing, uh, a woman posted, she goes, rule number one for men, don't talk about Bitcoin on the first date. And then there's a lot of women out there who that's a complete deal breaker on a first date. If you mention Bitcoin, red flag, you know, something wrong with you. So like we've fostered how people view, how people view the community by our own actions, not because of somebody else, you know, we're not being misinterpreted. These are like, all they have to do is come into Twitter and see the toxicity and say, wow, people in crypto are fucking crazy. They're toxic. They're mental. It's it's like a fucking Q forum. No desire to be in there. No desire whatsoever. No desire to, to hang out with somebody like that. So I think it's important that we start focusing on changing how people view us. But to do that, we actually have to be better people. And I'm holding myself to that standard. Like I'm, I want to, and I'm, and I'm trying to figure out a way to, like, how do I still bring scams to people's attention without it come across like I'm attacking them? How do I point out deficiencies in a, in a project without it making it look like I'm attacking them? So one way I'm doing it is I'm, I'm uh, testing out key phrase uh, protectors. You know, those like those metal key phrase protectors. So I've got like six that I'm going to um, test out. And one of them, they sent me an extra one to do a giveaway. So I'm going to test them all out. I'm going to do a blog, probably a blog. I'm rebuilding a website and then I'll do a blog post and then I'll do an episode on it. Maybe a couple episodes on them and then I'll have a giveaway and the one I'm giving away is like 150 bucks. So, you know, it's a good giveaway. And uh, and there's two of them in the box. It's a duo. So, um, so that's it. So let's let's be better. Let's uh, let's focus on being less toxic. Let's focus on stop like not telling people what they think and actually ask them what they think and respect the answer that you get that we get from them. And focus on, you know, just being uh better ambassadors of crypto to the outside world because 
there's been a lot of damage done and it's going to take a lot of work, but I feel that this community is up for it. I've, I've met a lot of amazing people in this community and a lot of healthy, emotionally healthy people. And uh, I think that we need to start setting a standard that we want to be better and, and really present that to the world. Um, so that's it. Thanks for listening. Appreciate everybody's support along the way. And uh, talk to you soon. Okay, bye.